the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Does man have free will or doesn't he? Can he choose God or can't he? And what are the repercussions and ramifications of understanding one of those paradigms versus another? I'm glad you asked. We have a lot of answers for you as we continue with our series, The Myth That Man's Will is Free. We're exploring God's Word on the subject and taking a look at what God has to say on the issue. Welcome to Way of Grace. Pastor Jessica Stand continues with our little mini-series now as we focus in on this one myth that man's will is free. Here's Jesse with today's program. Scarcely shall a good man die. That's Romans chapter 5. So there will be a few times in the Bible where we'll talk about human goodness. Not a lot. Not a lot. So there is not this kind of equilibrium of good and bad in terms of relative conduct. But you and I might entertain that adjective if we're trying to have a discussion with somebody and we will say, sure is good for you not to abort that baby. Let that baby live. Sure is good to make sure that you don't steal or kill or defraud someone. All of those things we would call good. But we would also know that underlying that behavior would be a rotten motive that would be far short of what God would expect in terms of character in relationship to conduct or motive in relationship to actions. Does that follow? All right, so when, when, um, when, when Paul says, oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his what? His judgments. All right, so again, we, we would go, see, we're already in a twix in that first primary observation because if God's judgments are unsearchable, then I'm stuck in a dilemma of never being able to arrive at omniscience to really know whether or not I'm free or not. Did that make some sense? Right. But remember what I said as a, as a principle to really know if you're free, you have to know everything because if you don't know everything, then often you don't know things about what you are and are not until someone tells you, i.e. salvation. Prior to salvation, you didn't know that you were a slave of sin. Prior to salvation, you didn't know you were spiritually dead. Prior to salvation, you didn't know that you were heaping up wrath against the day of judgment and fiery indignation. Prior to conversion, you walked in really what our main text is going to call darkness. Is that true? Yes. Right. So if there, if, if, if in the conversion theme, the binary distinction between being a saved person and therefore walking in the light and therefore knowing truth and therefore having having real spiritual freedom afforded you also means conversely that before salvation, 
you were walking in darkness. You did not know the truth. There was no freedom there really whatsoever. And you were a slave in a system, a complex organism that was in front of you, that was in back of you, that was under you, that was on top of you, that was in you, but was governed by God. Does that make some sense? Right. So what the text is saying is out of the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his ways and his judgments are past finding out. So that wipes you and me out in terms of omniscience. Now look at the next verse. For who hath known the mind of the Lord? None of us. Or who hath been his counselor? None of us. We're, we're behind the gun now, aren't we? Because there's one creature, one person in the universe that knows all things, and we don't know anything to add to what he knows. So we're limited creatures in a lot of ways. Verse 35. Or who hath first given to him? And it shall be recompensed unto him again. Now, if you look at that verse, that verse is going to argue my point that none of us as human beings come into existence um, autoanthropos. We don't come into existence of our own human will, of our own human power, of our own human generation. So what the text says here is, or who hath first given to him and it shall be recompensed unto him again. Like our life is given to us by God. Like we don't, God, when we come into existence, God doesn't owe us. We owe God. That's how limited we are because we're coming into a system already set up by God. Verse 36, here is your organizing principle. For of him, you guys know that, that's called origin. For of him, origin. And through him process mechanism. These are the constraining process and mechanisms by which the one uh, for whom all things have their origin is now being worked out through him. That means there's nothing happening outside of him. Like God is in absolute control of everything that proceeds into existence. It has its origins in God and it is absolutely controlled by God in all of the finite details. Does that make some sense? Through him. This here is a, um, the idea of through here is a uh, instrumental principle. Everything is instrumentally governed by the total quality package of God, whether it's omniscience, whether it's omnipotence, whether it's providence, whether it's decrees, uh, whether it's, it's volition, all of the qualities of God play a role in the outcome of everything that happens. God is in total supervision of it. And here is the uh, final, um, again, uh, a circular uh, objective here for of him and through him and what? To him are all things. So everything that comes into existence comes in by God. Everything that is in existence <clears throat> is upheld by God. And everything that exists unto the point of terminus is to return to God in some kind of way. Now, with that kind of reciprocating power, God is demonstrating the infallibility of his being and his will. He's demonstrating that nothing happens and therefore can get out of its control and therefore does not actually return in the circuit of God's infallible decree to terminate with God. Nothing will not terminate with God. All things will terminate with God. That makes sense, right? You guys get that. 
um, what that tells us, if we listen to that as, a, as an axiom, is that no creature, therefore, is free. I'm letting it settle in. I want you to get it. If you take that principle, then you understand that God never created a creature that operates outside of this closed loop system. So as I say, that applies to other people, but it doesn't apply to me. No, it applies to you. You are of God. You are through God and you're to God, right? God created us and we will face God on the last day. And everything going on in between, therefore, is operating within the parameters of God's sovereign decree in conjunction with all of God's qualities and attributes by which God is going to get glory by our actions within the context of their volitional choice, but never so as to usurp or mitigate or abrogate God's supervision over us. Again, that little last line there can be tough for you, um, but it fundamentally means that our freedoms are completely determined by God too. And our freedoms can be understood in two simple ways for those that are watching. One is when we do what we do, we do it what? Voluntarily, right? We've talked about that before. There's really no such thing as acting against your will. When you think a thing through, it may be as complex and contradictory and filled with all kinds of paradoxical tensions. For you and I to act, we act in conjunction with what we would think is the best outcome. And that would be in accord with our will. No human being acts outside of acting in accord with their own will. Now, other people can act upon you with their will against your will. But where you and I act, we are ultimately being volitional creatures in that choice. And therefore, we are culpable and responsible for our actions. Does that make sense? Okay. So that little caveat right there is designed that once you get into the minutiae of discussing freedom of the will or volition or the actions of mankind in the context of their choices and decisions is to let them know your choices and decisions have consequences. That's where your freedom is. When God says you are uh, obligated or you are responsible, that's where your freedom starts and ends. Your actions will lead to consequences for which you have to pay for them because you are responsible. All right, so you guys heard me make the argument that mankind does not come into existence in a vacuum free of influences and control factors and complex organizing systems already driving him in a direction. Do you agree with that? Is that not the Genesis narrative? Is that not the way God created Adam? Did not God create Adam after God had completely set up a complete contextual system of governance, of occupation, of work, of purpose, of decree, of plan? All of that was already prepared before Adam was created. He was created into a complete organizing system. He had a father. He had an origin. He came out of the dust of the ground. He opened his eyes into the midst of a plan. There was a dialogue with him and God. God told him what to do. God told him what not to do. In the same way in which Adam is brought into existence conscientiously in a whole set of complex organisms and systems, 
so you and I are as well. Therefore, going back to Proverbs 20, 24, because I want to uh, delve into a little bit. I'm going to open up the mic before we go to prayer, because this is where we're going to stop tonight around the freedom of the will. And I just want to ask a couple of questions and see if we can talk it through. Therefore, man's goings are of the Lord. And because that is true. The question that is now raised is absolutely brilliant to me. If, in fact, you don't have the authority to determine your own origin, how then can you understand your ways? You see that proposition? Right. So so the idea here is really amazing. Man's goings are of the Lord. How then can he understand his own way? How can a man then understand his own way? But did not say in the opening of our monologue, monologue, that that's what man does every day. He talks as if he understands his way. He lays out plans. He writes up curriculums. He determines, he decrees, he purposes. He swears it's going to happen exactly the way he wants it to. Is that true? All right. Stay with me because you, you guys see this every day. And I think it actually gets us too. I think man is a really good liar. I mean, I think he's like a fabulous, pathological, kleptomaniac, just an absolute prevaricator. That's the political expression for liar. Like, like he is just the epitome of delusional uh, rhetoric. And he can make you believe that he, man, he knows something. Is that true? Now think about this. And yet you and I are never surprised when he gets it wrong. Are we? Like, we're never surprised when that BS falls apart for what it really is. I'm trying to draw something home. Really what we're dealing with is the propensity for all of us, because we are limited creatures, to be deceived. Because we're limited creatures... Even those of us who are true believers, really trying to hold on to the levers of true and to try to maintain a coherent, consistent framework of understanding life the way God would have us. I'm talking about a robust biblical worldview. Even though those of us who have been able to frame by the word of God, very clear axiomatic principles that constitute the ways of God and the ways of men. Some of us are very comfortable. I, I have a healthy suspicion of humanity. I don't apologize for it. Uh, I thank God when I wake up every day saying, all men are liars, Lord, uh, because I'm not doing it out of a cynical, uh, hypercritical, self-righteous, destructive way. I'm doing it in a way of wanting to keep my eyes open and not fall asleep at the diabolical nature of lies and falsehoods that our world perpetrates every day. Because, see, I am a vulnerable creature just as you are, and if I slip, they can get me too. Am I making some sense? Right, so, so, so I, I, the, 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 the labor of the, the righteous to maintain objectivity is a serious labor. And, and, the, and the reason is because not only is my fellow man a pathological crook, but I'm one too by nature. 
And so if I wake up on the wrong side of my own disposition and fail to realize that I have a propensity today to want to buy the Brooklyn Bridge for the hundred millionth time because I think I can do something with it, then I could be lied to. And, and if I am lied to by some subtle proposition that happens to be going my way because of the way I'm thinking, because of what I want, I can be on a trip for a long time before God opens my eyes to the fact that I bought a lie. Does that make some sense? Right. And so one of the things that the believer does is learn how to develop a set of uh, clear organizing principles so that he has a set of parameters that keeps him from going to too far into extremes, uh, good or bad, when it comes to speculating and taking chances, because that's what we do. We, we engage in plans and we engage in activities and sometimes we're not real clear and, and, and we're walking by what we call faith. And we might have kind of violated some of the rules that predicate that faith because we kind of want a thing. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Right. <clears throat> That's what James meant when he said in James 1.13, let no man say that when he is tempted that he is tempted of God because God cannot be tempted. Therefore, he does not tempt any man. But we are drawn away. And I, I think what I'm getting at here as I'm uh, sharing with you the exercise once again around freedom of the will. And I'm going to do that here in a moment. I want some Q&A. What makes this thing called free will so appealing when it actually totally smacks against all of the objective evidence? Did that make some sense? Right, right. What makes this thing called free will, <clears throat> freedom of the will, volition, the choice, my right. I have my rights. I can do what I want to. And. Nobody can tell me otherwise, and I know what I'm doing. And if you don't let me do what I'm, I want to do and have my rights and all of that, you don't respect me. Um, I, this, this emerges up out of our kids by the time they're two years old. That, 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 that strong-willed child wants to run the house, Right? And, and then as they get older, they, they start to argue with you. And you go, somebody lied to this boy. <laughs> he thinks he's smart. Like, I haven't heard that one before. Right? And, 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 but that's you and me, too. That's my, my point. What makes the assertion that you and I have a free will so appealing? That's the first question. Then the second one, why when you are capable and do argue against freedom of the will, are people so perturbed? Do you guys understand the nature of those questions? All right. How, how many of you here have ever had a conversation with other people about free will? All right. Okay. Have you gotten your doctrine of free will right? All right. Because most people don't. All right. But how, how many of you had uh, had the sticky arguments where it went back and forth and they're arguing from very fallacious grounds and and you're trying to get them to anchor now into certain clear scriptural realities and 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 they're trying to get around what you're saying and you realize this is not easy. Right. Good. 
So so now, so I'm going to ask the two questions, and uh, Evan, I need you to run the mic uh, for the next 15 minutes. I just want to hear, I want us to generate some dialogue around it. In closing on the topic, obviously, um, free will, as is asserted, uh, you can come on up, as is asserted, is the grounds for the cosmic war that God is fighting against his rebel creatures. Do you guys know that? That's, that is the grounds upon which the cosmic war, I mean, so when we tell men and women that we're in a warfare and they say, no, what, what, what warfare? Then we know that they are deluded by free will. We already know that, right? Because if you know you're in a war, you know, you're in a war, a clash of wills, the will of God and the will of man. So the way the proposition closes going back to Proverbs twenty twenty four, is that the question is raised, how can man perceive? That's what that word means. How can a man then see that word understand? It means to perceive. It means to properly assess. It means to know, to rightly evaluate. This is the way I want to put it, rightly evaluate. And it would be the common understanding, common concept of understanding that I've shared with you here recently in days. I told you what understanding is. Understanding is the ability to take a thing apart. Understand it in all of its components and put it back together again. It's the idea of being able to stand under it when once you know what it is, because now you know what constitutes its faithfulness. Like, I, I love this verse, 1 John chapter 5, verse 20. I love this one. And, and this is where you and I live. And then we'll open the mic. 1 John chapter 5, 20. And we know, okay, we know. We know that the Son of God is what? Right. So beautiful truth. Everybody don't know that. I do. Do you? Yeah. Right. If you are a child of God, you have to know that because Christ came to you like he did Nick uh, Gideon. I'm, I'm looking forward to drilling way down into Gideon learning who Christ is, because that's you and me. Gideon knows Christ now, doesn't he? He met him for himself. Right. And, and we know that the son of God has come and has given us a what? There it is. That term means insight. That means insight. It's not just know in the what we call the uh, gnoskis sense. This is know in the widow sense. These are two sides of the same verb. Widow. Widow. And it means to have insight into perception and clarity of. That's the idea of understanding. And that would make sense. True believers have a grace in them that allows them to penetrate into the person of Christ at the level of being able to understand who Jesus is. Jesus is the revelation of the invisible God for us in the totality of biblical proposition summed up in his person. So we understand the father through the son and we understand redemption and salvation through him. And he has given us an understanding in order that we might know, there it is again, know, gnosis, him that is true, and we are in him that is true, even in his son, Jesus Christ. Now, here is the Johannan 17.3 text. This is the true God and eternal life. That's a verse you really want to meditate deeply on, because what this is talking about is origin, process, and outcome. 
This is talking about how you got saved, how you understand your salvation, and the fact that your salvation is a consequence of you being in the very God that saved you. So this here is a deep, penetrating, saving knowledge of God. Does that make some sense, you guys? It is not purely, it is not merely theoretical or hypothetical or philosophical. It is the inner penetration of the Spirit of Christ revealing Christ to you in such a way that you are learning who the Father is, and this is, in fact, eternal life because of your union with Him. And on that note, we will close out today's broadcast of Way of Grace with Pastor Jessica Stand, the ministry of Grace Bible Church right here in Hayward. If you have questions about our broadcast, maybe you would like to spend some time with us worshiping the Lord. We would love to see you. You can get all of that information and reach out to us through our website at grace-bible.com. That's grace-bible.com. Listen to past sermons as well as guest preachers. Again, at our website, grace-bible.com. We'll even let you have any of the notes, sermon notes, that are available from these sermons as well. Again, there's an awful lot of resource material available at our website, grace-bible.com. If you'd like to reach out to us by phone, our number is 510-886-9782. That's 510-886-9782. Sunday services here at the church are at 1030. Friday evening Bible study is at 6.30, Tuesday prayer and Bible study again at 6.30, directions and information again at our website grace-bible.com or by calling 510-886-9782. Would you prayerfully consider partnering with this ministry as we reach out to the Bay Area and the world (laughs) on the World Wide Web? We do so because we are linking arms with other listeners such as yourself. This is a listener-supported ministry. Your gifts, no matter the size and no matter the volume, are great help as we continue this ministry called Way of Grace. Consider that as you reach out to us and join us again next time for another broadcast of Way of Grace with Pastor Jessica Stan. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.